Welcome to the Haber Show. LeBron James is a four-time NBA champion, and the Miami Heat Cinderella run has come to a close. Hit midnight. And it's time to bring on ESPN's Amin El Hassan, regular of the Haber Show and mayor of Heat Island, to discuss the nuances of the GOAT debate and where the Miami Heat go from here. We'll also talk sneaky championship contenders for next season and where Giannis ends up. Of course, don't hold us to that. It's going to be months and months and months from now before the smoke clears. But it's fun anyway to talk about. Always good to get with Amin, who does a great job on the jump at ESPN and Sirius XM NBA Radio. So without further ado, let's hear it from Amin L. Hassan. Amin, I am late to this interview. Interview, what is this? Like a very formal thing. I'm late to this podcast because I was watching your hot takes on Twitter. That's what I was doing. You you sent me a text watching? like, are we going to be doing this? And I was watching your hit on SiriusXM Radio about your wild predictions for the offseason. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't – that actually didn't happen, but I, 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 I now I understand. Oh, we're doing a thing. Yes, yes, I sent it to you. I said, are we doing this? No, no. I'm saying I was watching it on my Twitter feed. Oh, okay. Irrespective of what you were talking about in our text – Gotcha. And then I noticed that in our text chain, you were like, uh, eyes emoji. Are we doing this? And I was like, yes. oh, oh, yes, yes. The guy that I'm supposed to be calling here, I'm watching on my Twitter feed saying that Devin Booker, his your big bull prediction was that Devin Booker is going to demand a trade early next season after they stumble out of the gate. So um, I was writing it down and then he texted me. So I apologize for being late. I was actually doing my homework, teacher. Oh, well, okay. Well, I, everyone knows that the student that does their homework moments before they're supposed to turn it in <laughs> is one of the best students there is, right? Like, yes. that's, that's the guy who's like, oh, he's going places. That's right. That's right. So um, it is Tuesday. The NBA is exiting the bubble. Already has. Mark Spears, who was on the pod last week, said he was going to kiss the ground when he landed in San Jose. He was going to kiss the floor. Wait, why is he going to San Jose? I don't know. Maybe it was the Bay. I guess it, it is the Bay. In my oh, head, okay. I was thinking San yeah. Jose. He went to San Jose? Is that right? Uh, yeah, he went to San Jose State. Yeah. 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 So um, you and I did not go to the bubble, but still we're kind of picking up the pieces from the finals. And I don't know if I've heard your take yet on the whole MJ LeBron stuff, but as someone who uh, pontificates for a living here, I'm sure the last couple of days of doing radio and TV um, have been just one long segment of LeBron or Lebr- uh, Michael. Is that right? Not not as much, I think, as some other places because it's me and Zach Harper. So today, for instance, we did a whole bit about how there's a city in Northern California n- named Vacaville, but I always thought it was Vacaville. And so I always pronounce it as Vacaville. And, and Zach says, no, it's actually pronounced Vacaville. And it's in a county called Yolo County. The name of the county is literally Yolo. And so we did a whole thing. I did a whole thing. I said, if I were the mayor of Vacaville, I would make a formal proposal that we change the name to Vacaville and change it to America's number one vacation destination. Like nothing but resorts, uh, change all the liquor laws so that you can have open containers, you can serve alcohol 24 hours a day. Uh, And I would petition basically everyone to come to Vacaville and have a great time. And so then it came on later in the show that Vacaville is not actually in Yolo County. It's just outside of Yolo County. So I said we should gerrymander 
to get draw redraw the county line so that Vacaville is in Yolo County. Zach says, I don't think that's what gerrymandering means. I disagreed. I looked it up and gerrymandering says manipulate the borders of an electoral constituency so as to favor one party. And so I said, exactly. When you're in Vacaville, it's always a party. And wow. we want to favor the party. So wow. let's gerrymander it. Not only that, I will run as the mayor who's going to revitalize the Vacaville economy and I will change my name to Gerald Mandarin. Yeah, see, this is just brilliant. I don't know when I thought you were going to stop with the bit, but it just kept on going and got better oh. and better. We did this on live radio on Sirius XM NBA. Just because to- you know what? Total improv. You know yeah, it just it was because he I can't remember why Zach mentioned Vacaville, but I remember thinking, wait, I thought it was always called Vacaville. And he's like, no, no, it's Vacaville. And I'm like, oh, man. But the point being is Tom Habistro <laughs> is that there are certain channels and certain I should say certain shows that are burning up for the ability to just talk LeBron versus MJ. I'm not necessarily one of them, although I'm happy to have an intelligent conversation about it. So. Did um, is it spelled YOLO like Y O L O? No, YOLO County. Yes, it is. Vacayville, which we're pronouncing it, Vacayville in YOLO County. YOLO County. I mean, buddy, I'm telling you, it's gold. Is this like a Michael Schur comedy? Like, is this a is this like Parks and Rec sequel? (laughs) Like, what? You can make this happen, man. I'll 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 holler at Mike Schur. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I wrote a column. Um. And we do this thing where we kind of pre-write when there's like an elimination game in the finals, you kind of pre-write two different stories. One is if uh, team A wins and the other is if team B wins, or maybe it's finals MVP is the A thing. And then finals yeah. MVP is the B thing. So I had kind of already preemptively wrote my column, which was essentially the LeBron goat debate is not going to be about championships. I don't think it is. Because I think you can't touch Michael Jordan's 6-0 and record. Mm-hmm. I don't think LeBron should go after that. If he's a politician, I don't think you're going to go after his policy on that issue. The only way you're going to win is if you attack this other issue, which is his longevity. LeBron's trump card, no pun intended, is going to be his longevity and his ability to perform at a high level well past Michael's second half of his career where he, where he retired twice and the Wizards thing happened. But I think if LeBron can get to all-time leading scorer, he's 4,000 points and change away from Kareem's record, I think that is going to be what that, the thing that tips the scales nationally, like the conversation. Because then it's going to be more about LeBron is the all-time leading scorer and it's not even his best skill as a right. player. And to me... When you have four championships and maybe more than that, plus the longevity, plus um, all the teams that he's taken to the finals, I think when it's all said and done, he's going to be considered the GOAT. So this is this is what I say to people, right? If, if people who are interested in having an intelligent conversation about this, right? You have to start with the assumption that there is no GOAT, right? You might think... I like this guy better than the rest, but we have to all accept it's impossible to compare players across eras, especially when they play widely different styles and different positions, et cetera, et cetera, right? Once we've accepted that in our hearts, we can have an intelligent conversation. So the intelligent conversation for me starts with, we could say Michael, LeBron, 
Magic, Kareem, Wilt, Russell. Right? Those are generally the six. Am yeah. I missing I, I mean, no. I think that's that's where you would draw the line. Yes. Okay. I know there's probably some Larry Bird and Kobe Bryant yeah. and I mean Oscar maybe would be yeah. thrown in there. Yeah. But but I think I think those those are the six that yeah. we talk about. Yeah. Right. They all come with you you detected it perfectly for LeBron. But they all come with a separate argument, right? That separates them from the others. If you're Michael Jordan, your argument is six and zero in the finals. That's it. If you're, Boom. If don't you, even, you don't yeah. have to say anything else. It's yeah, six and zero in the if, finals. I'm I'm gonna go through them all, right? If you're Magic Johnson, your argument is nine out of twelve years in the finals. Oh, by the way, twenty years old, I was Finals MVP. If you're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you point to eight million All Star games and and the all time leading scorer, right? If you're uh, uh, Wilt, you're like all these crazy numbers that'll never be broken, right? If you're Russell, you say 11 championships, yeah. right? If you're oh, – who's the last one on the list that I'm missing? LeBron. LeBron. If you're LeBron, it's what, it's what you mentioned. I'm, I'm in every single one of these statistical categories. I score with the scores. I rebound with the rebounders. I assist with the assisters. And also steals and blocks. I'm coming up there too, right? Similarly, they all have counter arguments. Michael, 6-0 in the finals. What about the years you didn't make the finals? Oh, don't talk about that. <laughs> Magic, 9 out of 12 years in the finals. Yeah, you were playing on a super stacked team from the moment you walked in the door. Also, you lost four of them, right? Kareem, you played for 100 years. You're, you're a compiler. Wilt, you played against people who are a means height. Russell, <laughs> you played in an era where there were eight teams in the league. LeBron, you're four and six in the finals. So they all have strong arguments that separate them from the others. And all of those strong arguments have a counter that, that lets the air out of it. And, and, and so to me, it's like, yo, how about we just say these are the greatest players of all time? I was on uh, Ted Alexandro, who's, who's a stand-up comedian, very funny guy. I was on his show, and we had this conversation. And I said, it's like someone asking you, who's the greatest comedian of all time? Is it Richard Pryor? Is it Eddie Murphy? Or is it Dave Chappelle? Why do I have to choose? Why can't I say I yeah, like why, why do we have these arguments in basketball but not in other respects? I mean, I guess I guess maybe they're political pundits that argue who the, who's the greatest president or leader of all time. Nobody nobody no. really nobody really does that. <laughs> like we get it a little like Ted says it happens in comedy when something happens, but not as a default, right? So it's not a default everyone's sitting around. You know what? Dave Chappelle's 10 times the comedian than Richard Pryor. That doesn't happen. But when Dave Chappelle drops 846, Everyone says, this is why he's the greatest comedian, comedian right. ever, right? So when things happen in comedy, he says, that's when people start to have that conversation. But it is not everlasting and 24 hours like it does in sports. And dare I say it, I feel like it's a very basketball argument. Because I don't find these arguments happening in baseball where people are trying to convince me that Babe Ruth is better than Mike Trout. I don't hear a whole lot of people trying to convince me that Johnny Unitas was every bit as good as Tom Brady, Right. This, and in and, and hockey, they got one guy called the great one, and no one even, even bothers to even think about anything else. So I feel like this specific type of argument is not only specific to sports, specific to basketball for whatever reason it is. Who do you think is the most dominant of his era? If you don't want to go across eras, who would you say was the most dominant of his era? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's got to be Wilt, right? It's got to be Wilt, but then you got to say Russell. What's more dominant than winning every time you play, yeah. pretty much? 11 out of 13 years. 
And, and to me, that that's that's a measure of dominance. But then you again, the counter argument. Yeah, he was playing I with six too. other Hall of Famers as well. So, oh yeah, and in a league where there's only eight teams, and at a time where, you know, the Celtics and Red Auerbach were treating it like, like an NBA organization, and then there were owners who were like treating it like, I really could use a new washing machine. You know, I mean, it's like you're clearly not. It's like playing intramurals, right? Yeah. And there's one team where they're drawing up plays and they have practices and shoot around and film session. And then there's another team that was out getting drinks right before. Oh, shit, we got a game. And then we got a, they run onto the court to play. You can't compare. Like, yes, this team was killing. In a, but it's like, is it fair to say this guy right here, the greatest intramural player of all time? When he was playing in the league where nobody else was taking it as seriously from an organizational standpoint as his team was. I don't know. I'm not saying that that means he's garbage. He's obviously a great player. But I'm just saying that is a, a, a real counter argument. And it leads me to my next point, uh, uh, Tom. This is what me and Zach came up with. Petition for all pre-NBA, ABA merger championships to be treated like pre-Super Bowl NFL championships. I love it. I love it. Like for, for the simple fact that, and also pre-baseball, pre-Jackie Robinson baseball, for the simple fact in all three of those instances – there was a rival league that contained a significant amount of elite talent that wasn't playing in your league. So as long as that exists. Wait, wait, are we going back to um, ABA merger? Or are you yes. saying even before then? No, I'm saying ABA merger. Yeah. ABA merger is the, is the demarker for basketball, much as Super Bowl is. NFL, AFL merger is for football, much as I say the color barrier is in uh in baseball, right? Um, so right. there was all of this elite talent in the ABA, and they weren't in the NBA for whatever reason, either because they got outbid or they weren't eligible or whatever it was. You can't toot your horn or beat your chest about that. We'll let you have it. Like we say, the Cleveland Browns have whatever NFL championships. They've got NFL championships. Do you remember any of them? No. <laughs> Does anyone remember any people in Cleveland probably do? And that's fine. You're allowed to have your right. Jim Brown played there. We recognize Jim Brown, one of the greatest football players of all time, was a Cleveland Brown and won NFL championships. Congratulations. But when we're talking about like comparing hardware, that shit don't count. It so just don't. Before the playoffs or before the bubble, I wrote this column called uh, <laughs> Everyone Has an Asterisk. Everyone Has an Asterisk, right? And in 1976, what I wrote about the, uh, the Celtics was the asterisk reason, reason was half the best players were in the NBA. Ten of the 24 All-Stars in 1977 were former ABA players, including All-Star Game MVP Julius Irving, Dr. J, and five of the ten starters in the 77 NBA Finals were ABA players. Yep, there you go. Split there half and half. There you go. I mean, like it, it is probably even more so than, than, than the the football example. That the the only thing ABA was lacking was the organizational s- structure and financial might that the NBA had at the time, right? Mm-hmm. This it was. If you'd never read the book Loose Balls by Terry Pluto, oh, so good. Pick yep. it up. Great book. Great book. It's like a great time capsule of what the ABA was like, which is. You think about it now, it's like, yeah, it was just another basketball league, and they had a three-point line on a colorful ball, but it was like, it was a lot of, like, bootleggery going on out there. You know, like, if you watch Semi, it was one of the reasons I love Semi-Pro, because a lot of the stuff that seems slapstick humor is like, no, that's real. That kind of stuff was happening. Like, it wasn't an homage. It was, like, a tribute to the ABA. Like, a real, genuine— It wasn't a send-up. Yeah, Yeah, it wasn't a send-up. It was like, "Eh, some of that stuff is, is, 
very close to fact. Yeah. The, the reality is, at the end of the day, we're talking about the talent, though. The talent was undeniable in that league, as evidenced by that, that factoid that you just gave us. So, I, I, you know, I just look back and I'm like, why are we, why are we counting these? Like, it's like, why do we say the Celtics have 17 titles when 11 of them came in a time when there were eight teams in the league? And then a couple more were like with Hondo and stuff like that. Like, it still wasn't quite the same. Now, Larry Bird's three titles, absolutely, I'm here for him. And KG, Paul Pearson, and Ray Allen, short thing. So by my count, Celtics have four rings. When we're doing the franchise comparisons. Like, it really isn't fair that people put the Lakers and the Celtics on the, in the same category. When the Lakers have consistently won every single decade. Mm. If you're a Laker fan, and I'm, again, I'll, I'll start in the 70s, right? I'll start after the merger, right? I'm not going to count, like, Wilt and, and Jerry West and those guys. And I'm not going to count Minneapolis. But, like, if you're like me, I was born in 1979. That very next year, the Lakers won a championship. And they won five in the 80s. And then they took the 90s off, but then in 99, 2000, they won one, and they won, what is that, uh, four more? Mm. So three, three, uh, yeah, so five right there from 2000 to 2010. They won five titles, right? And then they took like 10 years off, and then they won another one. It's like that is way more indicative of a successful franchise, that they're able to be successful that often than we won three with one of the greatest players of all time in the 80s, and then we took like a 30-year break or whatever, a 20-year break. And then we won another one because we had three of the greatest players playing at the same time. And, and so, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a big reason why when I grew up, my dad wasn't a huge, didn't make us be Boston Celtics fans. He was like, you're going to be Red Sox fans because we're right outside New York. And I can't imagine raising Yankees fans. But in terms of basketball, like, eh. Like Celtics, I mean, Rick Pitino was running the team at the time. I remember. Uh, so, your, so your dad was like, I don't have, like, it's so distant from watching them be good that I'm not going to really force you guys. Like he's to a be- guy who grew up outside of Boston and doesn't even feel an attachment to the Celtics. Because remember, the Bruins, the Pats, like, they had much more recent success. Right. And so when we would go to the um, Madison Square Garden to watch NBA games, it wasn't like if I was rooting for the Knicks, it wasn't this like total heresy, like traitor, Tom, sit down, like go get your Larry Burgers. It wasn't really like that. And I always asked him, I was like, why didn't, why weren't you so like on top of us about the Celtics as much as it was the Red Sox? And it was just like, there wasn't this Knicks Celtics rivalry because the Celtics just weren't very good. And at least the Red Sox had, you know, the Yankees, the the evil empire to go against. And the Celtics didn't really have that. It was more about the Yankees than it was about like the Knicks, right? So there was that whole thing. But I also, you know, the Lakers, you want to say they're the Lakers because of that, like the dominance before the merger. Like they won a bunch of titles before the merger and therefore there's this reverence of, of the franchise and that kind of capital. The Celtics. But then you think about the Celtics and it's like, wait, why didn't they parlay that as much? Yeah, I, like th- to me, the Lakers' success pre-merger was mostly in Minnesota. I think they won one title with Wilton and Jerry yeah. West, yeah. and uh, uh, that was the year Elgin retired at the beginning of the season. So, really, when you talk about Lakers' success or Laker exceptionalism, we're not talking about 1969 
We're talking about, and, and I know they went to the finals a bunch of years in there as well. You know, Jerry West famously was he one, one, one won, for eight, yeah, one won, for nine. He won a nine, I think. Yeah, so like, they went to the finals a bunch of times. So that that is success. We should acknowledge that as success. But the reality is what we're talking about is when we talk about the Lakers mystique and the Lakers dynasty, we talk about Magic, Shaq, and Kobe. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about Magic, Shaq, Kobe, and that's the La- and now LeBron. Mm-hmm. That's the Lakers dynasty. We talk about the Celtics dynasty. You're talking about Russell, Larry, KG. Think about the gaps between each one of those. Mm-hmm. Like here's 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 another way to look at it. Magic played in the league when Shaq was around. Shaq played in the league when Kobe was around. Kobe played in the league when when LeBron was around. He's literally a handing of a baton, right? Russell was long gone by the time Larry got here, and Larry was long gone as a coach by the time KG got here. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So the gaps there bring into clarity like what we're talking about. This the I know they got a lot of numbers and banners hanging from their from their rafters, but man, that's a lot of them have dust on them. A lot of dust on them. And and the Lakers, for whatever you want to say about how Hollywood they are and how poorly they were run over the last 10 years and all that. The one thing you can say is under the bus family, they have been successful almost continuously. I was looking at superstar duos to win the title. Like the, the statistical drop off of the Lakers second best player to their third best player. Like, well, who is that? Like in your mind, who is the third best player? Is it KCP? Is it Caruso? Is it Rondo? Like I was wondering has any champion been this top heavy with two players? And I went Shaq and, and I Kobe. Looked, That'd be Shaq and Kobe. Right. right. It had to be Shaq and Kobe, right? I went and I looked. Game score is, is Hollinger's uh, PER, but just put to like a single game metric. So the average, um, the average title team has three players with double digit game scores, meaning LeBron James averages 26 game score. Anthony Davis averages 25. And then someone else typically averages another double digit game score in a series, in the finals. But actually the most recent one, I mean, the most recent example of two, only two players having a double digit game score on an NBA finals winner is actually Kobe and Powell. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. And I was like, whoa, the Lakers have done this like three times. Like three right. iterations of superstar yes. duos. Now you can say Powell and Kobe and, and Lamar, but like Elo, yeah. I don't know. At that point, you can consider him like a, a superstar or a, 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 no, he, he on was, that level. He was never he was never a superstar. Uh, and there, I said he was never a star. He was a really, really, really good player, though. Yes. And for what he was able to do, like that was the the headache, right? The headache was Lamar Odom because. He rebounded like a five, but he also could bring the ball up and pass and all that. And while not a great shooter, he was a timely shooter. So, I mean, he. I think if Lamar Odom were on this team, he'd clearly be the third best player, right? Yes. Without a question. So, But, man, what, like, isn't that kind of amazing, though? Is that yeah, the Lakers I mean, just won a title, and that's how good AD and LeBron are, is that their third best player, which was a debate all season long, as if it meant something. Like, if there's a debate about who your big three is – you don't have a big three. It's just a big two. See, but, but you know, what's funny, Tom, is that it doesn't matter, right? Or Matt, like the game, is, people always say, oh, does this mean you only need two stars? Like, no. The name of the game is how can I accumulate the most high-end talent? And then once I have that, 
how do I find the complementary pieces? Right. How do I fill in the blanks? So if you got two, you got two, and you fill in the blanks the way you do, right? If you got three, you got three. If you're like the Warriors and you had four, then you can get away with like Patrick McCall and like guys like that being contr- – Patrick McCall was a problem. It's so weird like that we just forget about it. like Patrick McCall was out here backdoor cutting and dunking on people, hitting threes in NBA finals. And then like a year and a half later, we don't even know where he is. Yeah. Right, like uh, like obviously he had a bad spill where he fell on his back, but the injury is not keeping on. It's because he's not playing for the Warriors anymore. Well, that um, you know, it's funny you bring that up because I wanted to talk about this is 2007 LeBron. You know how good LeBron was that year? Uh, and- yeah, good enough to take that team to the finals. <laughs> listen to this roster. Look at listen to this roster. Okay, his second in minutes was Booby Gibson. Oh, oh, let me no, let me let me give you the the, the test because I remember we did the jump uh, one of those the we, the year uh, Steve Kerr didn't start coaching the playoffs because he was dealing with back problems. So Mike Brown was in charge, right? So we had Mike Brown on the jump, and we we're saying, oh man, like full circle, you're going back to the finals with the Warriors, and guess who you're facing? Your former player LeBron, and you know you went to him with him to the finals in 07. Oh, no, I and don't, I don't Mike, like where this is going. No, Mike Brown jumps up and says, can you guys name the other four starters? <sighs> and so let me see if you can name Well, the, I, I think we've done this bit because it was Drew Good. Was it Drew Gooden that everyone Drew Gooden misses? was the missing one. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone misses Drew Gooden. So everyone, like it's Eric Snow, it's uh, Sasha Pavlovich, it's... Uh, Big Z. Big Z. And then uh drew gooden is the missing the guy that everyone forgets because people say oh it's verizal oh it's danielle marshall oh it's booby gibson oh it's mo williams oh it's like yeah oh they name all these names like it was none of those guys it was drew gooden and the the, the significance of the story is at the end of it he said it was drew gooden and i was like oh that's right um tracy mcgrady says wait who is the fifth <laughs> i love you t-mac but that was one of my favorite moments in television history that's so good. Drew Gooden, by the way, that finals was the second highest scorer on the, on the team. So, I mean, and that's where to go full circle, the four and six is so maddeningly uh, misleading for me. And I've talked about, I wrote a column like a couple of years ago about this and just laying out the reasons why using that denominator against LeBron is so insane. It's, it's real easy. It's real easy. It doesn't take much to figure this out. You look at LeBron's six finals losses. You tell me which one he had the better team and was should have won but ended up messing it up. There's only one. There's only one. The Dallas one, you can hold that. I'm never going to argue yeah. for. Like, he got beat and he, and he shrunk in the moment. It was his worst moment as a basketball player. But, and, and by the way, lest people forget. You know, obviously Miami was up, I think, two zip in that series. Or were they, or, no, they weren't up two zip. That wasn't the series. But either way, they're up two, uh, yeah. they were up 2-1. Had they gone on and won, Dwayne was going to be finals MVP. LeBron wasn't going to be finals. Like, barring a supernova to, in those last two games, in games uh, four and five, Dwayne was going to be the finals MVP. And what also people don't realize is that 2014 collapse against the Spurs – D-Way was a shell of himself. Everyone, everyone was a shell of himself. Nobody but more was so D-Way. Like, Dwayne just couldn't, he couldn't go that year. That year, that season, he was rough. That season, like, when, when we talk about DMP rest and man, load management, what Dwayne Wade's knee, his bone bruise, did to that team, just culture-wise and, and locker room-wise, it can't be overstated. 
Like every every player on that team would come into the arena that day for shoot around, for pregame, for practice, having no idea if D Wade was going to be able to go. I remember they'd be very frustrated. Remember they were like they walked around like pissed about, it. oh, he's not playing again. You know, yeah. that was kind of the the attitude there. And and they called it a maintenance, like maintenance days, which is now yeah. just a synonym for load management, just not as loaded, uh, pun intended, of a term, and. It drove players crazy. And I can get that. It's like D. Wade's such a transformative player for your team. And so much of the NBA is just routine and knowing what you're going to have to deal with on a day-to-day basis because it's just you're flying all over the place. You're in this hotel, that hotel, whatever it is. At least you have some based foundation to work off of. That 2014 season with D. Wade was a mess. Um, LeBron would come in to, I mean, I was there. LeBron would come in and he would, people would ask, Hey, is, is D Wade playing tonight? And he'd be like, I don't know. Ask coach. I don't know. Ask coach. I don't know today. And so that season, like we want to get on LeBron for finals losses. The 2014 season, that was not on him. It was not. I don't think anyone does. I think everyone looks at it and especially the way the Spurs played in that, like up until the Warriors came by like a year or so later, we were saying that's the greatest team basketball anyone's ever seen ever seen right and then the, the Warriors did it for literally an entire season um but you know that's that's real talk man that is real ass talk where you got to just accept I don't think anyone holds it like even the most ardent like LeBron critics like when you go on the micro level they're like yeah they agree yeah 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 but then they just but it's four and six and Michael wouldn't have gone like that well well tell me the one where Michael was an underdog maybe the first one because it was, and even then, that magic was like a hundred years old, and he dragged this very young team, Eldon Campbell, Vladi Divac, and all these other guys who hadn't been around. Were these hurt? Like, there's no, there was no reason why the Lakers should have been a favorite. But after that, like, they were better than the the, the Blazers. Clearly, the Suns had a better record, but I think everyone at this point well, was Vegas, all bought in on. You the, just look at the odds at Vegas, like you'll see, yeah. it's pretty heavy favorite. And then same thing, like, the, they were obviously the, the greatest team of all time in 96, 97, 98, Utah. Maybe that 98 Utah one? Maybe? And even then, like, again, at this point, after he's won five in a you know, three in a row, and then now two in a row, you think anyone in Vegas was betting against Michael Jordan to pull out that series? It just is not – it's not an apples to apples. Now, you can make an argument that, well – Michael wouldn't have let his team be bad enough to have another team be favored over there. Right, I guess that's the best counter is, well, the reason why they were always favored is because they had Michael Jordan on the team. But again, like you look at it like Michael Jordan, I can tell you unequivocally, he had a healthy Hall of Famer for five of those, right? Number six, we could say Scotty was banged up. This is five of those. The dude, I mean, that's a pretty good dude to have. I did a study a couple years ago that showed one of the, the number one primary factors of winning an NBA title wasn't who had the best player. It was who was available. Oh, like, yeah. Of all oh, of right? the champions, the team that won the NBA finals, like almost 100% of the time had the fewest games missed due to injury for the postseason run. Like you can look at all the other factors, but the number one factor, regardless if it happened in the finals or before the finals, mm-hmm. injuries and games missed by your rotation players was like the number one factor. Yeah, and sense. like even even in like upsets and stuff, when you look at the other side, for example, 2016 Warriors, Stephen Curry missed a whole bunch of games before that postseason. 
the Cavs won that series, but a lot of the a lot of the talk about um, the NBA Finals seems inevitable this year with LeBron James winning the title, and of course they beat the Miami Heat. But man, I'm still gonna die on this hill and say, Goran played what a half a game, if that. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, he, Bam he out about played by two and a half games. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, here's my thing: you, it can be both. It can be both. We can acknowledge that the Heat were not full strength. And it probably would have been a different series if they were fully healthy. And we can also acknowledge that, like, yeah, but that's that's part of it. Yeah. That's part of it. And that's why that was the beauty of your, your asterisk article. Is that if you want to, you can do this for every champion. Every single one got a quote-unquote break somewhere. Somebody got hurt. Somebody got suspended. Something happened. And that's why. Like, we think about... Pistons over Lakers as one of the biggest upsets in the history of NBA Finals, right? Because it's Shaq and Kobe. Yep. How could they lose in five games? What we don't ever talk about is like that Lakers team was 20-4 and four when Carmelo plays, and Carmelo got hurt. After averaging 18 points in the first round of the playoffs, Los Angeles Lakers forward, Carmelo's knee imploded by the NBA Finals. David beats Goliath, but if only Goliath had no le- knees left. Right. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> like, but that's just, we don't yeah. bring it up. That's why there are no, they either all have asterisks or there are no asterisks. Is 2007, what's the asterisk there for the Spurs, I mean? Western Eastern Conference, that's all. Like, I mean, look, hey, man, okay, maybe not. Maybe they don't have asterisk. Well, I mean, the asterisk is like, wait, Isn't what it happened? How did... 2007, Amari Stoudemire and Boris Diaw, both in their oh, primes, were suspended right. for a pivotal Game 5 of the Western Conference semis for stepping onto the floor at the wrong time. Spurs go on go. to face a 50-win team in the finals, an asterisk among asterisks. No, that's that's awesome. That's only about like seventy thousand dollars worth of uh, therapy that just down the tube right there. I'd literally <laughs> forgotten all about that. I was thinking about the Cavs the whole time because my therapist had me kind of, you know, projecting my bad feelings over somewhere else. But thank you, Tom. Thank you for bringing me back to that hellish time. All right, let's take a quick break to hear about a podcast that should be in your rotation. This is Mike Tirico introducing you to Sports Uncovered. When I lose the sense of motivation and the sense of to prove something as a basketball player, it's time for me to move away from the game of basketball. Quote, unquote, I'm back. I'm back. The two-word facts from Michael Jordan announcing the most famous comeback in NBA history. That's the most impactful two words ever. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Sports Uncovered for free wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, back to the conversation. So where, what is Miami or Heat Island looking like these days? As the mayor of, of Heat Island, what's it looking like? I mean, it's looking more prosperous than ever, man. I mean, this is way ahead of schedule. You know, way back when, when Jimmy Butler was a Minnesota Timberwolf and listing Miami as one of his list of de- destinations, desired destinations, and, you know, Dan Levitard and those guys were asking, who is this guy to demand a trade? And, oh, I hope Miami doesn't give up stuff to get this guy because, you know, you don't win with a Jimmy Butler I knew back then, I knew that this guy fit the culture and all you need, and, and the idea is like this idea of you get two superstars at the same time, or th- like, it, that's not realistic. The realistic thing is you have a team, it's good, a superstar comes, now you're better, now another superstar says, oh, I want to be part of this, right? So that's basically what the Lakers did. They, they drafted well, they had a decent plucky team, LeBron says, okay, I'll join you, and then... Anthony Davis says, I want to join him. And now you've got a chance. That's what the Heat right? did with so, D. Wade and LeBron and CB. Yeah. Right. So they, they had so, Dwayne Wade and they were like, oh. They said they already had Dwayne Wade. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so 
similarly, um, I thought Jimmy Butler could accelerate this team, make them competitive, make them uh, successful, and make them attractive to other players. And what ended up happening was that process accelerated a lot more than I think any of us thought when that acquisition was first made. And so if you're Miami, you're saying, I'm a year away from enormous cap space. Uh, I've got young players that everyone seems to respect league-wide, and I think that's important. This isn't a, well, we like Kyle Kuzma, and so we assume that everybody else likes Kyle Kuzma. This is a, everyone seems to like Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo, and uh, you know, to a lesser extent, I guess, Duncan Robinson. And so now you're building this. You, you've, you've done the work. So next year you go into this. If there are any players to be had on short-term deals, you go get them. If not, you roll with what you got right there. Goran Dragic, bring him back on a massive one-year deal because you have his bird rights. And then you go into 2021 and say, all right, who, who wants to be a part of something special? And I think that's a, that's a compelling argument. And I, you know, I don't root for teams, Tom, but part of me really wanted Miami to win because I like the message it sent, right? Not that the Lakers don't send that message as well. It's just a little bit more obvious with Miami, which is if you run your organization competently, good things will happen. If you run You'll it get more bites of the apple, right? Exactly, right? So we make fun of the Lakers for this and that and the other, but the reality is starting with, you know, when they drafted Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart and all those guys, right? They're not here celebrating this championship, but they were part of this, right? This process started because the Lakers drafted well and those players were developed and they played well enough so that when it came time to trade for a superstar, New Orleans was like, okay, I'll give a look at these guys, right? As opposed to if the same scenario had happened with Anthony Davis and the Knicks, do you think a Nick deal would have happened? No. You think Kevin Knox and, and, and you know, uh, whoever else was on that team was, that was going to get the job done Mitchell for the Pelicans? Yeah. Yeah, like the, it wouldn't have got it done, right? The, the, the Lakers had good players. Brandon Ingram, everyone saw this guy's going to be a good player. Lonzo Ball, people felt like he's going to be a good player. Josh Hart looks like he's going to be a 15-year pro, right? And he's throwing picks and all that other stuff. But it all starts with you did the legwork early so that when it came time to go get the stars, you could do it. You could you first of all, you were good enough so that LeBron said, oh, they're trending in the right direction. He goes. And then later on, Anthony Davis says, oh, I want to join LeBron because he's great. And the Pelicans say, you know what? That's not a bad package right there. That's why you do it. That's why that's why you do it the way you do it. And so I thought the Lakers are a good example of it. But obviously, the, the Heat are a more obvious example because they're plucky underdogs. They were five seed and stuff. I think it would be easier to sell people on the, the, the organizational strength as the reason why they're there as opposed to people looking like, oh, you got LeBron and Anthony Davis, and, they, and that's all they see. They don't see any of the other stuff. Much like people see LeBron as a 6'8", 275-pound dude with a 40-inch vertical. Say, of course he's great, and they don't see like, no, he's great because he's brilliant, and he's great because he remembers everything, and, and that's his greatness. And the body helps, surely helps. It doesn't hinder, but... It's not the main reason. Right. And and you can point to Shaq as like an example of like, if you don't yeah. take care of your body and, and spend your off seasons optimizing your body, then like, that's what happens. Like Shaq, if you want to talk physical force, like there are not many people who have the, the physical gifts that LeBron has, but he's on that short list. Right. And, and Shaq, by the way, Shaq's another example of, of the opposite too, of people look at Shaq and said, he's just good because he's big. 
And it's like, then, then you don't get it. Yeah. If you think Shaq's good because he's big, if you think LeBron's good just because he's big, if you think Giannis is good just because he's big, then you don't get it. That doesn't mean that they're perfect players, that they don't have flaws, they don't have things that they can get better at. But the idea of what makes them great isn't just their size. It's their size and all this other shit they do. And similarly, the Lakers aren't just champions because they have Anthony Davis and LeBron. What more do you want? It's because all of the work behind the scenes to get to this level. So the one thing that I do want to hit, because in, in retrospect, it feels like this was a year ago. And it is a year ago when we were talking about Jimmy Butler, the, the trade. The thing that I was telling Heat officials when they were, you know, there was there was a an opportunity to get Jimmy Butler in the offseason. I was like, yeah, but like, what window is this going to be? Like, are the Heat ready for prime Jimmy Butler? Or is this team going to be two ships like passing in the night passing where it's like, night, yeah. it's like Jimmy Butler's ready to win right now is Bam out of bio Tyler hero and, and uh, Duncan Robinson. Is this core ready to compete for championships right now? Because what I worry, I, I don't worry about year one, Jimmy Butler. I worry about like two, three, four. Right. And so that's the critical piece of this that now I think becomes even more of a variable. Now that you see Goran Dragic and what happened to his foot. Um, and you start to see like, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, and and Duncan Robinson are all going in one direction. And the question is, how long can Jimmy Butler, with his history of of high minutes, injuries, whether he can maintain this level of superstar status long enough to keep that window open? And so I think that still is a talking point that we should have. Is like if and when Absolutely. they have, if and when they get Giannis or whoever superstar you you name. Is Jimmy Butler still going to be this guy? And maybe they don't need him to be this guy. If exactly. it's just all-star Jimmy Butler exactly. and Giannis and Bam, that's, I mean, that is a championship core. That that's 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 the idea. The idea is A, he doesn't he needs to be that good now because they don't have much in ways of elite talent, right? But as Bam gets better, and then as you add more talent, now he can he can like do the Tim Duncan. Right, like Tim Duncan didn't need to be Tim Duncan once Kawhi Leonard came on the scene. He just right, we just saw Andre Iguodala do it for the Warriors. It's like, yeah, Andre Iguodala can win a Finals MVP one year and just be an amazing role player the next three, four years. Right, and so I think that's part of it. The other part of it is, unfortunately, getting superstars isn't like going to Costco. You can't say, no, no, not not for me. I'm not ready yet. Next next week when my freezer is empty, then I'm gonna buy the, the you know the the beef patties for a hundred people. Why why did I just right? think of the you Omaha steaks the... and and yet you come in here with the beef yeah? Patties. That's weird. That's weird yeah. that we both thought of the same exact thing. Yeah, because you think about something that would sit in a freezer, which is typically <laughs> your your smallest storage space in your you know culinary uh, zone, right? But the idea here again is like you don't get to choose. No matter how well you you plan it out, shout out to the New York Knicks. You don't get to choose when they come. You got to get them when you can get them, right? What is now? The, what is the line like? Opportunity isn't a long. Uh, what is it? Opportunity what? It, like there's like a saying that opportunity doesn't stay long or something like that. Opportunity isn't a long sleep. Well, I just botched that. So good. Good. You're right, making a point. I, I, I just botched that. So go ahead. No, I've I, I, I just Googled it. And um, someone's sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree along. No, that's not it. <laughs> I, 
the fear of work holds people back, and of course, opportunity doesn't stay long. That doesn't sound like a quote. All right, maybe not. All right, so point. Oh, eight. oh, thank you, Daryl Morey. Here we go. Okay, Daryl Morey tweeted one time. Oh, it's not a saying, man. Oh, here it is. Opportunity is not a lengthy visitor. My favorite. All right, I'm gonna butcher this. Sondheim cl- lyric slash quote. Sondheim. Son Sondheim. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, opportunity is not a lengthy visitor. So in Jimmy Butler's case, like if you have the opportunity to get Jimmy Butler, you get him regardless of where the trajectory of your. Unless like, so there are exceptions to the rule, right? Example, 2010, the, you know, after coming off a conference finals run and, you know, 54 wins and a three seed and, you know, six game loss to the Lakers, Amari Stoudemire is a free agent. We came up with a contract that was going to be guaranteed for the first two years, and then year three had a partial based on how many minutes he played in year two and year one combined, and then each you know additional year there were partials based on the number of minutes he played in the prior year, right? So if he, as long as he was on the court, he was going to get his money. But it was obviously a very deliberate thing because we knew the medicals. This guy's knees aren't going to last. And we just wanted a way to get out from under it if it indeed came to fruition. The New York Knicks say, to hell with all that, five years guaranteed. Now, you could make an argument that the Knicks are doing, I mean, you just said, if you got opportunity, you got to go after it. Like, yes. But you also have to understand what you're getting into. And in the case of Amari Stoudemire, there was clear, and this dude has a history of major injuries. Right. This isn't Jimmy Butler's, you know, knickknacks here and there. This is microfracture. This is uh, arthroscopic surgery on the other knee. This is eye injury. This is an uninsured player. Right. The league has insurance that they covers the entire every team. Right. Mm-hmm. You get hurt. It pays 80 percent of the salary if they miss 41 games, I believe. Right. The the insurance company has 13, I believe is the number, might have changed, 13 magic bullets. What these magic bullets are is basically they can identify single body part and as a result say uninsurable. So, um, uh, who's someone? Oh, uh, let's say, let's get, for example, Paul George, ankle, uninsurable. So if Paul George has a devastating ankle injury that causes him to miss 41 games, the insurance company said, well, that part wasn't insured. Of course. If he has an eye injury, he's fine. We'll pay for the, that for 41 games, but we won't pay for that ankle injury, right? Um, well, Mario Simon had three bullets on him alone. They had 13 for the league to use across the league. Three of them were on Amari Stoudemire. One on each knee, one on his eye. Mm. Right, this isn't a knock of Amari. He's a great player, uh, and I think he should be a Hall of Famer. But it's a, a reality that when you say, I'm giving you $100 million fully guaranteed – that even your own team that you've been so successful with that drafted you, the people who should love you more than anybody else, were like, ah, I don't know. It's probably a bad sign, right? Similarly, that's what you know. That that's what you look at uh, when to give the Knicks some credit. The opposite end of the Kristaps Porzingis trade. They traded him for the cap space for two max guys. Yes, and they traded him because they got a bunch of picks. Yes, and they traded him because they got Dennis Smith Jr. who they like. Yes, they also traded him because they're not confident in in his legs. And they weren't confident giving a max deal to that dude with those medicals. And I know it's nice to joke on the Knicks. It's fun to joke on the Knicks. But at some point, you got to ask yourself, 
they can't be hot to try to trade them just because they want to clear out cap space. There's more to it than that. And what do we see? We see Chris Porzingis, which hopefully it's a regular meniscus thing and he'll be fine. But it does lend to, given also his past injury history, given his size, maybe there's cause for concern. And so all of these are educated guesses, right? You get talent when you can get talent, but also you don't want to be investing in something that has a massive red flag, be it medical or be it a guy who has two strikes on the drug policy or be it a guy who's uh, got some off-the-court issues, right? You enter those situations with risk. But when you look at Jimmy Butler, the risks were, oh, he's an asshole. But so is Pat Riley. And so is Eric Spolster in the same way. So is the entire goddamn organization. <laughs> Other than Duncan Robinson. I wish he wasn't. <laughs> well, it reminds me of Isaiah Thomas, right? Is the Celtics trading Isaiah Thomas for Kyrie and then letting... That's well, the- that's the worst one of all time. Right. Because you caught it. You could have failed failed the physical, reversed the deal. You already heard everybody shit on you. <laughs> like you could have like, nope. Or milked them for a lot more. This dude may not even play. Mm. I need more picks so I can go out and get more talent. To replace the talent I was supposed to get in Isaiah Thomas. They did none of those. I mean, they got one more pick, I think, out of it. Like it was so minimal. So minimal. And obviously in that situation, even getting more picks doesn't really help you with LeBron. LeBron's like, well, are we trying to win this now or not? So you have to have a lot more so you can turn it around. That, that was a failure on the part of the, the Cleveland Cavaliers because they got talent that wasn't even talent. It wasn't, it wasn't even there. I know, and there was, there was a whole story about how Isaiah Thomas was saying, I'm not damaged goods, da 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 There's this narrative out there that I'm damaged goods, and I'm just like, look at the list of people who have had the yep. uh, the you did, a, you, you did a great story about it. Yeah. Hip injuries. Yeah. FAI in hip injuries. It's not a good list. Like LaMarcus Aldridge might be the only success story of a guy who had a, that hip, the torn labrum in his hip surgery in college. And then it was fine for the rest of his career. But yeah. Isaiah Thomas was, it was a red flag situation. I don't know if it was officially a red flag situation, but it was. It's, Tom, when they fill you on the physical and say this trade ain't going through, that's not a red flag. That is like a, a, the factory that makes the red flag. Yeah. That's China. That's Chinese flags. And like, I mean, it's, it's not just a red flag. It is someone slapping you and say, don't do this. So um, last thing, next season, Lakers are the favorites to win the title. And I'm looking at this list and I'm like, yeah, but what about the Clippers? Yeah, what about the Mavs? I know Porzingis. And the weird thing is about that KP thing is that they waited, what, two months to have surgery? Doesn't yeah, smell right. Odd. That doesn't smell it, it right is to me. Odd. Is that he's out for the rest of the playoffs with a meniscus injury or a knee injury. And then they announced two months later that he had the injury. Now I can get like three weeks. They wait for the swelling to go down. But two months, it's a long time. Unless there was like a minor surgery initially and then now is the bigger one. But anyway. Right. What is the team that is going to overachieve next season more than any other team? That just based on your, you know, what what you're looking at the the Vegas list, which team is going to overachieve the most? And you can't does, say Miami. Does, does, I know I was going to say does, does does it count the Clippers if they achieve? Does that count as overachieving for them? Like if the, <laughs> the Clippers margin is big though, they're the second favorite, right? If, if they, if I'm just saying, if they merely achieve that that counts as an overachievement at this point. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, no. Uh, let's see. 
So right now the See, odds I, are I think Lakers, Clippers, Bucks. overachievers. But you're talking about on a champ on a championship level, right? We're not talking about overachieving. Just hey, you had a much better season than I thought you would. Because right. I have an answer for that, but I don't have an overachieve to Miami's level. And let's be fair, Miami's the third lowest seed in NBA history to make the finals. So that's not a regular. That's not a oh this year who's going to be this year is Miami. That's not normal. They did something extraordinary there. So really, you're asking me who are going to be the championship contenders. I don't think Dallas is going to be a championship contender. Yeah, the uh, Porzingis news doesn't help. I, I think they're going to be like 50-some-odd 50, 50 wins and second-round knockout. By the way, this is all assuming that we have a regular season. Mm-hmm. You know, We've had the news now that they're looking at MLK as a possible start date. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, we're still trying to figure out whether it's going to start in bubbles whether it's going to be bubbles with fans in attendance, kind of like what MLB is doing with their conference uh, series, ALCS and NLCS. We don't know if it's going to transition eventually to people playing in arenas, but empty arenas or some fans in the arenas and they're going to travel or it's just going to be full on 20,000 people. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff that's happening in the country uh, that's going to impact many of the advances we'll have at fighting COVID. So there's a lot there, but I think off the top of my head, I would imagine that Dallas is going to be good, but still not good enough. I would imagine that Memphis is going to take a leap forward. I would imagine, obviously, the Brooklyn Nets are going to take a leap forward. I'm gonna. You want to know my team? My team that's going to crash the contender party. Who that? Toronto. I mean, are they crashing a party that they're already at? They're ranked 11th. 11th. In the rankings. In the rankings, they're 11th. This is a team that won 53 games this year. year. Yeah, I, I don't – I mean, I can – this is a team that won second in the NBA, in the uh, East this year. And I think if I'm going to put down money at Vegas for the title winner next year for my best odds, like the best sleeper pick is Toronto because there's other variable, trading for Giannis. Is yeah. that like of all the teams yeah, that have assets to flip to Milwaukee, I feel like they're in that conversation. And so if you're looking I mean, at a team that can win right now, and also if Giannis, they stumble out of the gate and he demands a trade, whatever it is, and Milwaukee's looking at all the rest of the teams, like who's got young talent and also good enough that can play right away at an all-star level, Toronto's got it. Or, let me ask you this. Opening night 2021. So we're giving, giving you a lot of runway here. Not next opening night. Okay. The opening night of the following season. The season after the free agency bonanza that we're all waiting for where's Giannis playing rank or, or you can rank give me four locations five locations whatever and rank them for me Miami Toronto Golden State Toronto's two Golden State three okay what do you think okay okay are we, are we including think, Milwaukee here sure we can include Milwaukee if you want okay uh incumbent I'll just say Milwaukee number one Miami number two wow you think so you think the the biggest chance is he's going to remain a buck? Yes. Wow. Okay. What do you think? It's interesting. I don't know. I asked the question. I asked the question. <laughs> well, you thought it was surprising I think, that I, I, think, I picked my uh, Milwaukee number they, one. They, they want, I just I think a lot of people feel like that that he, he he might stay in Milwaukee for a little bit, but not not long. Yeah, but this is this right? is like the this is this semantics. is next huh. season. So like his super max would kick in that year, right? Right? No, no. Yes. It went, I don't know if it would his, kick in, but essentially... Deal. His new deal would start, yes. Whatever. Okay. The, his current deal would end 
this upcoming season. And so we're talking about the season after that. So the first year of his new deal, whether it's an extension, whether it's an outright signing, whether it's a re-signing, the first year of that deal, you think he's going to be most probably in Milwaukee. I would say that there are four destinations beyond Milwaukee that are in the running, right? You name three of them, Miami, Golden State, and uh, Toronto. I think the fourth is Dallas. Yep, yep. Dallas is on that list somewhere. And so one of those five teams. I'm not saying it's likely that Giannis – I don't think it's a fifty greater than fifty percent chance that he's going to stay in Milwaukee. I just think it's sure. the best odds. You could say right. you could say forty, thirty, twenty, ten. Yeah. And Milwaukee's the best, and it's not a right. there's a greater than fifty percent chance that he won't be there. I would take right? the field, right? I would take the field. Yeah. But if I'm going to rank the possible suitors, I think Milwaukee's got to be at the top. All right, that should be it. Um, we still have like a month out of the from the draft, like today. Like there's a month out from the draft. Yeah. I don't. I don't know anything about the draft, but um, do you see the the new the the rules and stuff? They got no. Like, what is you it? You can have ten visits. You got you can have ten overall visits, right? You have to every everything is in player market. You go to the player market. You can have a traveling party of four people. One can be one is must be a doctor, um, and then three team personnel. Uh, the player can have up to three people with them. In terms of family member, trainer, agent, whatever have you, um, you can see a player up to twice. You can make two visits to see a player, but remember, you only have ten total trips that you can make. You have to notify the league within forty-eight hours of your trip that you are intending on going on this trip. If you go to, if a player holds a pro day, right, where it invites multiple teams, that's fine, but that counts as one of your ten trips. Um, obviously there's a lot of COVID protocol stuff in there. Uh, so it's, so there's like a, there's like a, there's um, like a visit cap or there's like a, a yes. like not only is there's there a, a salary cap and like all this stuff, but they have to, there's a to, maximum salary and a salary cap, right? There's an individual and then there's a team thing. Wow. Same thing. There's a number of times you can see each individual player. Well, that's two. That's yep. the most you can see any individual player. And also you only have 10 trips. Is that public information? I feel like that could be. Yes. It was a memo leaked to oh, no, I'm saying, I'm saying are your visit lists is your visit list oh can can other Ooh, teams I, see which what your roster quote-unquote looks like who you've been to right who who you visited I, I as with everything Tom um it's not hard you ask players hey who'd you who have you worked out for and they always say oh I was with the Lakers and the, <laughs> they all, they're not smart enough to know to keep it a secret which is why I go back to patting myself on the back and everyone I work with in Phoenix, we got Goran Dragic in for a workout and nobody knew about it until the day we drafted him. We flew him in. He worked out. We, I, I scuttled him out of the back door while the media was let in through the front door. No. Got him in a car. Took him it was to an the Ocean's airport. Eleven type deal? Like, yes. It was a whole... Wow. Danny Ocean, you're talking about right now. Yeah. Wait, so... Um... Isn't that par- partially credit to the agent though? Because the agent probably wants to brag oh. about where teams are going, where his clients. Well, going. It, so 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 Goran was represented by Ryan Filipovich, who is the second in command at Bill Duffy uh, and Associates mm-hmm. BDA Sports. Uh, Bill Duffy represents a certain Canadian two-time MVP, who happened to play for our team at that time, and who happened to be Goran's favorite player. So it ain't hard. If you've got everyone pulling in the right direction, mm. did Steve play decoy? They wanted Steve Kerr. 
<laughs> no, Steve Nash. Saying like if he's Steve out, Corey, hey media, come on over here, come on over here. We're gonna do no, we're no, gonna no, do no. a press conference no. over here today. No, those guys, those guys are long gone. Those guys are long gone. Okay. Uh, players, no, like the only player who would be around during pre dot time was was Amari. Amari would do his workouts because he's the only guy who lived in Phoenix in the off season. Everybody else left, so I remember players would would see Amari and like go into his workouts and like, oh my god. Is that what you guys do here? I'm like, yeah, that's like this regular just warm-up routine. Like, what do you guys do? We run plays. All the college kids, they were so sad. They got no player development in college. All of them. They all complained about the same thing. They weren't taught how to be players. They were taught how to run a system or an offense. But, yeah, um, the media, we had a media holding pen. And you just – and, you know, you've been a, a U.S. Airways Center, yeah, right? Yeah. Or Talking Stick, I guess it's called. So do you know where the practice facility is, which is right next to the – the visitor locker room. Mm-hmm. It's that door. You know where the visitor locker room is, right? Yes. Hello? Yeah, yes. okay. So the practice facility is the practice court is right next to it. So if you're bringing the media from the media room, they're all the way down the long hallway past the sun's locker room. But if I go out of that practice court and make a left, I can go back out to the loading dock where the car is and get out. So basically... We had a coordinated, said, okay, release them now. They're coming from the media room this way. We're coming out the back door and coming out the loading dock the other way. So that they never, there was never a, a, a time to even have a, a, what do you call it? A chance encounter. Or anything. Mm. So smart. So much that goes yeah. on behind the scenes that nobody really knows about. What it takes to be. And by the way, <laughs> that's also the same route that play, you know, our players, we had like a courtside kind of club, you know, one of those subterranean things where the fans can high five the players as they're going out to the court from the locker room. And so after games, we give post game passes to these high value clients and they would stand there and wait to sign autographs for the players coming out as they're going back to the loading dock to get to their cars. And so a certain vet whose name I shall not name right now discovered that, hey, if I just go out the other way, they never see me. And so <laughs> they started doing that. Yeah, I, I, Miami, Miami's insane. That, that's like the arena that I spent most of my time in, in the NBA is, is Miami. They, people would always get mad at like Miami people who would not show up for the third quarter. I'm like, have you been to that nightclub? Like, have you been to Hyde? Oh, the, the Grey the – oh, Hyde, yeah. Yeah, they like, got the Grey Goose Lounge, right? And then they got Hyde. I mean, it's insane. They got a new one, by the way. Like, uh, it's a Bacardi bar or something like that. It's, but it's, it's one of those ones on the suite level. But it opens out to it's yeah they they do a good job there their hospitality is top notch everything pretty much everything that the the organization does is top notch I mean the PR department top mm-hmm. notch I was so lucky like people are like oh how hard was LeBron like that year like dealing with LeBron and the media and all this but like every time that you asked for an interview Rob Wilson and Tim Donovan at the Miami Heat Tom would Donovan go track Rob Wilson there you go those are the guys man those are the guys yeah. right there. They'd always, um, and, go, they'd again, always try to go get whoever you ask for, even if it's LeBron or Joel Anthony, right? And yeah. and that's what I always appreciate about the, the PR staff there is that they never hid players. They never did any of that. Um, and they always made them available. There was very few times that LeBron ducked out and didn't talk to the media. Almost never. I can't remember one time that LeBron or D-Wade or Chris Bosh ducked the media. Quick, quick question for you. Um, the... Ringer article about the heat index. How did you feel that came out? Was that kind of true to the, the the feel and the and the vibe? Yeah, I thought Brian did a great job. Yeah, um, 
there, I mean, there's so much that happened. Like to, to boil down the Heat era in like 2,000 words is incredibly difficult to do. So. But it wasn't really about the Heat era, though. It was more about you guys and, and how you approached coverage. Yeah. I didn't, re- I didn't realize that there was that kind of rivalry going on between uh, Mike and, and, and Brian. We have to remember Mike was the Miami Herald reporter, the beat writer yeah. for the Miami Herald covering the Miami Heat. And so he had an institutional knowledge of not just the Heat, but the city itself. And right. so Brian was literally, Brian, me, and Kevin were literally parachuting in. And what ended up happening is a lot of times LeBron would be the number one story. And so Brian would write LeBron. And then Mike would write D Wade or Chris Bosch, right? And so it kind of naturally, just by your own history with the, the superstars, it naturally just kind of fell where Michael Wallace would write Dwayne and then Brian would write LeBron. But. Like, you have to remember, in those finals years, it wasn't just Brian and Michael and me and Kevin. It was everybody. So imagine you're on an email thread as Game 6 is coming down to a closed 2011 finals, and you're trying to have a turf war mark your territory amongst, like, Rick Buecher, Mark Stein, Jay Donde, John Hollinger... Um, yeah think about that it was impossible it was so hard it's like at the end i'm just like nibbling at the eaten chicken wing right already eaten chicken wing just nibbling at it being like i'm gonna write about uh mike bibby and that collapse um which is always one of my favorite things the first day they had mike bibby in when they trade where they signed him trade him whatever and uh we were like man mike bibby how excited are you gonna be all these open shots and he goes i hate having an open shot. Oh, yeah. Let me tell the story. <laughs> and we were like, yo, what? He's like, I, I don't like having open shots. I like a little bit of pressure. I like a little bit of a contest. I get inside my head when I get a wide open shot. And I remember going to Synergy and looking at the, the shot profile. And he was right? And he was 100% was he right? right. He was like 42% oh on contested threes and like 28% on wide open threes. And I was like, uh-oh. That's a- and everyone's like, no, 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 small sample size. Da, da. He didn't hit a damn shot the entire two months he was with the team. He didn't hit a shot. That's amazing. And it that, took, is, that is incredible. He hated it. Like, the, like those idiosyncrasies in the NBA, like they're, they're, it's legit. Like some players just need, need that smell. Like they need that uh, certain thing or else they can't perform. Like John Wall, I think it was famous. Like he had to have a certain hamburger or McDonald's meal before every single game, or he would be thrown off. Karan Butler Jason, would drink. Jason Terry. What was Jason, Jason Terry? He needed chicken tenders. Before, chicken tenders before, before every game. game. Yeah, need chicken tenders. Karan Butler every used game. to drink a two liter of Mountain Dew before every game and had Ooh. to have Mountain Dew Ooh. in the fridge cold in the halftime. How about this? Raja Bell, Red Bull, and espressos. And he did it at halftime too. <laughs> he was always on edge, like on purpose. <laughs> but it, you're right. It's like you know. I look. I'm there's some other another player. I'm not gonna name, but I'm just gonna say this player is an NBA champion, and I'm gonna leave okay. it at that. It's, but this player swore, if I don't go out the day before, the night before, I don't play well. Wow, LB. Like every that? time I try to get every <laughs> every time <laughs> I, I get a good night's sleep. If it was LB, I'd use a, I'd use a funny voice. Uh, okay. Every time I get a good night's sleep, I play like trash. Every time I go out, like, and I come back to the hotel room staggering at 3 a.m., 
I have the game of my life. And so, like, in the playoffs, this, this guy believed this to be fat, right? Um, I know uh, Steven Jackson has told stories about that. Like, the reason why they lost against Utah after they beat the Mavericks is because there was nothing to do in Utah. <laughs> there is not enough nightlife. Yes, like they literally like just they, they, they didn't have enough of a, you know, of a release. And so you, okay. get, you get what you get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I remember Mike, Mike Miller. Mike Miller was the best dude to pregame, like not pregame, like going out to party, but pregame. <laughs> yo. <laughs> yo, Mike, Tom, you're breaking some news here. Uh, Mike Miller sitting at his locker before games. Uh, he would just shoot the shit with reporters and chugging like this energy drink and we're like yo what is this energy drink i've never seen it before and he had an energy drink i think it was called let it fly and it was his own mike miller endorsed like he built this energy drink company and before games he would drink it and then at the scores table i mean before going into the game he had the scores table whatever the the announcer whoever it was he would chug while kneeling down, he would chug J.J. Redick and Myers Leonard style, chug this can of energy drink, smash it, and then hand it off, and then he would go jump in the game. Routinely. That was just part of his ritual, is that he had to drink an energy drink on the sideline before he checked in. It was incredible. It was incredible. That's pretty incredible. So, uh, all right. Well, I mean, the offseason's here. We'll, uh, we'll have lots to talk about before the draft and we'll see what happens with the, the number two pick and maybe the number three pick with the Charlotte Hornets. Who knows? I'm not breaking any news there. But also, the number one pick I don't think will be taken by the Minnesota Timberwolves. Whoa! Are you going on the record? I'm going on the record to say I think they're going to trade that pick. Someone oh. is going to value that pick and get spooked that someone's going to take Wiseman or Alonzo, or uh What's the kid's name? Lamella Ball. I think they're gonna they're gonna move that pick. I think they're done with the whole youth well, movement. I think they're ready to go. I yeah. I mean, I, I did talk to uh, Gershon Rosas on SiriusXM NBA Radio a couple of months ago. Actually, right after they won the lottery, and I said, you know, and he said it's all in play. Everything's in play. Yeah. So, you know what the the new like buzzword or the buzz phrase is like everything's on the table. Is it that yeah. just I don't is know? New? Is that new? I feel like I'm hearing it more on is like it, it more on uh, I'm hearing it more with the bubble and like all these COVID protocols and stuff. The way you say, I don't know what we're doing is just say everything's on the table. That's it's a more PR friendly, like spin of, we don't know what the F we're going to do. I like it though. Everything's on the table. Everything. What's on the table. Everything. Everything. Everything's on the table. Everything's on the table. Are you guys going to play games on Mars? Everything's Everything. on the table. Look, That's on that the on table? The, Mars is, is on the table? Is that off the table? Nope. It's on the table. <laughs> Not off the table. It's is, it falling, is it teetering off the table? Nope. On no, the it's table. It's firmly on the table. It's on the table. So what are you going to do? Tom, what are you cooking for dinner tonight? You know what? Everything's on the Everything's table. Everything's on the table. You can use this for anything. Everything's on the table. I like it. My daughter walks up to me. Hey, are, are we going to the park today? You know what? Everything's on the table. It's on the table. Include, including being grounded. <laughs> <laughs> Better shape up. Yeah. All right. Um, appreciate you, Mean, and uh, we'll talk soon. That'll do it for the last Haber Show pod of the season. 
You can catch Amin El Hassan on ESPN, Sirius XM Radio, The Bomb Podcast, The Cinephobe Podcast. He's great on any topic. And if you haven't listened about what it's like to be in the bubble for almost 100 days, catch last episode with ESPN's The Undefeated senior writer, Mark J. Spears. Also, as 2019-20 season finally comes to a close a year later, I want to thank the entire Haber Show squad, Patrick Sturgeon, Tim Shovers for editing, Kristen Dunn helping with nailing down the guests, and Seth Rubenreut, who was our producer on the show. So thank you to the squad. Thank you to the listeners out there. Uh, It's been real.